Matthew 24, verses 15 through 31. Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in a, on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather." Now immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, if you remember where last week we looked at how Matthew 24, Jesus is explaining in answer to the question of the disciples, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he's explaining to them what I have laid out for you, and I think the rest of the chapter will help you see that as well, is the tribulation period, the time of the birth pains, the time of Jacob's trouble. That uh, What Jesus is describing in chapter 24 is the tribulation period, and that's going to be the sign of his coming in the end of the age, that last seven-year period prophesied for for Israel and, and Jerusalem in Daniel 9. We saw last week, though, that Jesus showed us in the opening of the seals that there's going to be an Antichrist and there's going to be the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the earthquakes. And we looked at how that all parallels with the book of Revelation. We ended up last week in the midpoint of the tribulation. How right around the midpoint of the tribulation, there's going to be an angel that hovers in midair and preaches the eternal gospel to the whole world. And the angels say, don't take the mark of the beast now and all that stuff. This is what's where we're at now in chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation standing, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And the one who's on the housetop not go down to take his cloak or go into his house, take what's in his house. And let not the one who's in the field turn back to take his cloak. And then he warns about how bad it's going to be at that time. So when it says that you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. Keep this in mind because I'm about to take you to Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is speaking about this to be a time period yet future from his time. Correct. So he says, when you see coming up the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. In other words, when Jesus says, when you see this, you better run. But he's speaking of it like it's future, which it is. But that's important because I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. By the way, when it when Jesus says this abomination of desolation is standing in the holy place, anybody want to take a wild guess where the holy place is? It's the temple. It's the temple. Go to Daniel chapter 11 and we're going to start in verse 29. 
Now I'm going to lay this out for you a little bit and then I'm going to explain it to you as, as we look at this. This prophecy starting in Daniel 11, we're jumping in the middle of it in verse 29, is talking about a man who already came prior to Jesus' day and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He actually came in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And he actually came, he was Roman, he offered pigs on the altar, he desecrated the temple, set up a statue to Zeus and everything. And this prophecy is talking about him at the beginning. He's a picture or pre-picture, pre if you will, of the Antichrist who is to come that Jesus is referring to. But look at what it says in verse 29 of Daniel 11. He says, at the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged. Excuse me, and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So we're going to keep reading here in Daniel 11. But we see there's this one who's going to come and he's going to make. Well, as it says here, he'll set up the abomination that makes desolate. Sure sounds like this is what Jesus is talking about. But this all happened prior to what Jesus is saying when he says it. And, and when he was on the earth and he is in, in Matthew 24, Jesus is referring to something that's still future. And then as we see this individual, even though it's a picture of the Antichrist that's to come, this isn't the prophecy about the end times because there's still going to be in time of the end and they're still awaiting for the appointed time. Now, verse 36 jumps in the prophecy to this Antichrist and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay, a no, pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Now, if you remember what I told you about Antiochus Epiphanes, he set up an altar to who in the temple? I already said it tonight. Did you catch it? To Zeus. That's a known God. And it's not him. That's some other God. But the prophecy here says the Antichrist, when he comes, he's going to declare himself to be God and stop all worship of any other gods. Go back to Daniel chapter nine. We're in chapter 11. At the end of the prophecy about the 77s or the 70 weeks decreed for Israel and for the city of Jerusalem, in verse 27 of Daniel chapter nine, it says he, this is the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's a seven year period. And for half of the week, that's three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out 
on the desolator. If you read a lot of commentary writers, they'll try and say that Jesus was referring to Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, he couldn't have been because Antiochus Epiphanes had already done what he was going to do prior to Jesus coming to the earth. Some people say, well, this is the destruction in A.D. 70 with Titus. No, because here the prophecy says it's waiting until the time of the end. And we see here in Daniel 9, the Antichrist is also described as one who's going to make an abomination of desolations in chapter 9, verse 29. But let's see how Paul talked about him as well in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As I start to read to you all these different prophecies and put them all together, you're going to see how all of a sudden it becomes very, very clear. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 12. Excuse me, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. So Paul's saying, hey guys, listen, you guys are worried about the day of the Lord. That day won't come until the Antichrist steps into the temple and declares himself to be God. So if you haven't seen the Antichrist step into the temple and declare himself to be God, don't feel like you've missed the day of the Lord. On top of that, you all know what's restraining him. Lawlessness is already out there, but the man of lawlessness is being restrained until he who restrains is taken out of the way. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible teaches pretty clearly that the, the he who restrains is the Holy Spirit through the church. You see, the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. That's what slows the decay. But there is going to be a point where the church is going to be removed from the earth. The Holy Spirit's action on the world and in the world through the church is going to be removed as the bride is removed and taken to be with the Lord. And that's when the man of lawlessness will be revealed after the rapture of the church. We're going to get into that a little bit more tonight. But I'll show you scriptures that show that during this tribulation period, we won't be here. The church will be taken away prior to that. Just keep in mind that prophecy in Daniel 9 that we've been looking at that decreed the 77s or the 490 years and there's one seven year period still left that hasn't been literally fulfilled yet. That is written as a prophecy to Israel and the city of Jerusalem. It's not referring to the church. You've heard me read to you already that in Romans chapter 11, Israel has received a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And when God's done with the church age, he's going to take us to be with him. And then he's going to finish that last seven year period with the nation of Israel. And he's also judged the world at that time. That's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, the birth pains. This prophecy of Matthew 24 is referring to that tribulation period, that seven year period. And at the midpoint, 
is when the Antichrist, who's already signed and confirmed a covenant with the many, he's going to all of a sudden no longer be the nice guy everybody thought he was and the world savior everybody thought he was. He's going to step into the temple, which at some point will have been rebuilt, and he'll declare himself to be God, just like the prophecy said they would in Daniel and also Daniel 9, Daniel 11. Jesus himself talked about it. And you remember how Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, they'll be able to do miracles even to deceive the elect if that were possible. We see that in, 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 in Paul's writing. Now, let me just say this to you real quick. Too many Christians spend too much time and have for many years trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Is it Obama? Is it Reagan? Is it all these different things? We've, we've had people say it was Napoleon and all this stuff because in Revelation his name was uh, Apollyon and all that sounded like Napoleon and maybe it was him. And you don't want to know as a Christian who the Antichrist is. Because the Bible says he won't be revealed until after the church has been removed. So if you know who the, the, the Antichrist is, that's not a good thing. Okay, so don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Well, go with me to Revelation chapter 13. Let's let some more scripture and more prophecy about this coming one that's going to be doing the abomination that causes desolate when he steps into the wing of the temple and declares himself to be God. And that's at the midpoint of the tribulation period at the three and a half year mark. Revelation 13, listen to verses 1 through 18. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon, we know the dragon is Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Anyone want to take a wild guess how long that is? Three and a half years, as we've already seen in the prophecy. All right. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Let me stop real quick. You say, wait a minute, Jim, didn't you already say tonight you're going to show us how we're not there? How come Satan's able to go against the saints? Let me ask you a quick question. Are there Old Testament saints? Were there Old Testament saints? Yes. Were they a part of the church? No. All right. Just because it says saints doesn't mean that it's going to be the church. There's Old Testament saints, there's church age saints, there's going to be tribulation saints. There's going to be those who are saved during the tribulation period. This is those he's going to be going after. The believers, the elect, if you will, during the tribulation period. He's allowed to make war against the saints and conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Well, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to ca captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. And then I saw another beast rising out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb and, and it spoke like a dragon. By the way, if you remember our Revelation study, this is the false prophet. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, remember the Antichrist, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them, 
them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, before we go, I want you to turn with me now to Revelation 12. But as you're turning to Revelation 12, let me remind you what we read in Matthew 24. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. That's the Antichrist who's going to declare himself to be God at the midpoint of that seven year period. He's going to be given authority for three and a half years. He's going to have everybody worship him. There's, now we realize there's going to be a false prophet that's going to lead people in the worship of him. Uh, there's going to be an image of the beast that's going to be coming to life and causing people to worship the beast. They're going to be doing all these miraculous things. Jesus said to the Jews, when you see this guy step into the temple, run, run. Run, run, run. And you're about to see that at that time, the Antichrist is going to go after the Jews. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, listen closely, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was, he has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. I'm going to take a while guess how long that is. Three and a half years. By the way, you're going to see the scripture saying it to us many different ways. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. And oh, by the way, there's another one coming up as well. The Bible's making very, very clear what's going to be happening and how it's going to be. But the woman is Israel. She's the one who gave birth to the male child who's going to rule the, the world with a rod of iron. And that's Jesus. And as you know, Satan tried to kill him, but he was brought up to the father. And so the dragon who is empowering the Antichrist, is going to go after the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. Jump over to verses 13 and 14. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Anyone take a guess how long that is? Three and a half years. A time times, that's two of them, so that's three now, and half a time, that's three and a half years. So Israel, or those who believe and respond to what Jesus said, are going to run for their lives at that point. And he's going to go after, Satan's going to go after them, the Antichrist is going to go after them. We don't know how they're going to be protected, but in some way the earth is actually going to protect them. We'll see that later on. But here's what I want you to see. Just real quick, we're going to chase a rabbit that I think is kind of fun. I believe the Bible tells us where they're going to go and hide. It's in the area of Moab in Edom. It's in an area called Basra. 
Now, for years, I'll admit, I used to think that Jesus, when he came back to the earth, was going to come straight to the Mount of Olives. I mean, that's where he ascended from. That's where the angels said, this same Jesus whom you see leave in this manner is going to come in the same manner. The prophecy in Zechariah 14 said that his feet were going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and it was going to split and the millennial kingdom was going to begin. And so for years, I and many prophecy people thought that Jesus' return was straight to the Mount of Olives, where he ascended from. But actually, as you're about to see, the scripture shows us that actually Jesus is going to return to Basra where the Jews are going to be hiding and he's going to forgive their sins, wash them clean and lead them out as he marches to Jerusalem from Basra, defeating his enemies all the way through the Valley of Armageddon and the Valley of Jezreel to Jerusalem. I believe that's when he'll ascend the Mount of Olives and set up his kingdom. But Go with me to Isaiah 63, and I'm just show you a few prophecies that kind of show us where he's going, going to return. <clears throat> Go to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, look at verses 1 through 6. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from where? From Basra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Oh, why is your apparel red and your garments like those or his who treads in the winepress? Keep that in mind. I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger and I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Here we see that Jesus is going to come from where? From Basra. And he's going to defeat his enemies and he's going to be covered in blood the whole way. We'll go to Isaiah 60, sorry, 34. Go to Isaiah 34. And look at verses 1 through 6. In Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 6, it says, Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let all the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses, corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. Does that sound familiar? All their hosts shall fall and the le as the leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice where? 
in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched and so on. Now here we see that again, he's going to come to Basra and he's going to defeat his enemies. But listen to one more passage. Listen to the King James translation here in Micah chapter 2. If you have a King James in front of you, you'll see it. Other of your translations aren't as clear in this one passage as the King James is. But it says in Micah chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, listen to what it says. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant, remnant of Israel. I'll put them together as the sheep of Basra. As the flock in the midst of their fold, they shall make a great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. So here we see he's going to lead out the remnant of Israel from Basra. Most likely that's where they're going to be running into the wilderness to get away from the Antichrist. And somehow, some of you know the area of Petra. You've heard of Petra. That's in this area. That's where this is. Again, we don't know fully how it's all going to play out, but God's going to protect them during that time. Now, going back to Matthew 24, Jesus has now said in verse 21, by the way, as you have already heard me touch on, uh, you know, he, well, let's back up. He, uh, in verse 20, he says, uh, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. We've touched on this before. Let me remind you. Colossians 2.16 says, don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what is to come. The reality is found in Christ. Jesus isn't talking to the church when he says, pray that your flight wouldn't happen on a Sabbath because we're not under Sabbath regulations. He also, I shared this last night with the people in the Tuesday night study. I'll share it with you as well. You do realize that when it's summer here, it's winter on the other side of the earth. You do. I didn't know that. I got to be honest with you. Below the equator. I didn't know that because of the fact that I was years ago going basketball mission trips. And we went to El Salvador in July. And buddy, it was hot. Boy, it was hot. We played in El Salvador and Guatemala. And the next year, we had the privilege of going to Australia. I was pretty excited about it. I was like, man, I had never been to Australia before. We're going to fly to Los Angeles. Then we're going to fly from there all the way to Sydney. And they gave us our uniforms and they gave us all our gear. And when they're giving us our uniforms and everything, they're giving us long sweatpants with fleece lining and coats for winter. And I'm thinking, it's going to be July. <laughs> Little did I know when it's hot here. It's cold in Australia. We actually played one game outdoors and it snowed on us. So wait a minute. If Jesus is saying, pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter and he's talking to the church, the church is over the whole globe. Is he wanting the church to pray against each other? It's kind of like people do when the hurricane's coming. Oh, God, may it not go here. May it go there. You know, is that what he's want us to do? No, he's not talking to the church, folks. This is the tribulation period. We're not going to be here. When he said, pray that your flight doesn't happen on a Sabbath or in the winter, he's talking to the Jews. Now, as you keep reading, though, he says in verse 21, for there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Keep that in mind for a prophecy we're going to read in a little bit. But for the sake of the elect, 
Those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say he's here, he's there, don't believe it because he's going to be seen all at once. And that's what he's saying to us. So go with me real quick to Revelation 19. Go to Revelation 19, verses 11 and following. I'm going to read you some prophecies that talk about Jesus' return and what it's going to be like at the end of the world at that time. In Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21, John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows by him but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That sound familiar to what we just read in Isaiah? And by the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I think we know who this is now, don't we? And John 1, 1 said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And the Word was with God and was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We know who the Word of God is. It's Jesus. Oh, but keep reading. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. That's us. And from His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron. Remember the prophecy we read earlier? The woman who gave birth to the child is going to rule with a rod of iron. Here he is. He will tread the winepress, there it is again, of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and all their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Now the rest of the slain were, were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Now, do you realize who's covered in blood? Just Jesus. He's got an army with him, but they're all dressed in white, and they're not fighting because he's doing it all himself. We're just coming with him, and he's going to do the fighting himself, just like the prophecy said. Jump back to Revelation 14 and look at verses 14 through 16. Revelation 14, verses 14 through 16. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. That's Jesus again. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has the authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. 
Now here we see that at this time of judgment, the treading of the winepress of the wrath of God, blood is going to flow as high as a horse's bridle. By the way, that's about six feet. That deep for 1,600 stadia. Now you may not know this, but that is the exact length of the Valley of Jezreel, or what we know as the, the Valley of Armageddon, where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. It's that long. Remember, he's going to come from Basra, going to fight battle. They're all going to be gathered in the Valley of Jezreel for the Battle of Armageddon, and their blood is going to be shed, and there's going to be blood six foot deep, that whole valley. Go to Matthew 13. We see a little interest about a harvest here. It's going to be important for us because we're going to look at a harvest as we run to a close tonight. Go to Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. In Matthew 13, verse 24, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I'll tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first. And bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jump down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Now the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Now just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then excuse me, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear." So here we see that there's going to be a harvest at the end of the age where the righteous are going to be left on the earth. The wicked are going to be gathered and taken for judgment. Go to Isaiah 13. As you're turning to Isaiah 13, I'm going to read to you Matthew 24 again, verses 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's not the rapture, folks. The rapture has happened prior to this tribulation period. That's at the end of the tribulation period. And there's going to be a harvest where he's going to take the unrighteous first and gather them off the earth to be burned, to be judged. And the righteous are going to be left on the earth. Keep that in mind. The righteous are going to be left on the earth 
to inhabit the kingdom. Those who survive the tribulation period, who are the righteous, are going to be left to enter into the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 13, listen to what it says about that day. Verse 6, Wail for the day the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty. It, it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They'll look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and to lay low the pomp of pride of the ruthless. I'll make people more rare than fine gold. Does that not remind you of what Jesus said and how if he didn't cut these days short, no human being would survive? And mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Go to Joel chapter 2. I want you to see that there is a judgment coming on the earth, on the world for their sin. We want to be in that group of those who have believed in Jesus and been spared this time to come. I'm going to show you that before we close tonight. But go to Joel chapter 2. Look at verses 30 and 32. 30 through 32. Joel chapter 2, look at verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Jump over to chapter 3 in Joel and look at verses 9 through 16. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors. Warriors, O Lord, let the nations stir themselves up and come, where? To the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So folks, when Jesus returns to the earth, now this morning I'm not talking the rapture. Rapture is when he comes and gathers his church. We go to be with him in the clouds. He doesn't come back to the earth at that time. He comes in the sky and in the clouds with those who have believed in him. And then those of us on the earth are going to be caught up and go be with him. And we'll go be with the Lord until this time is over. And then when he comes back to the earth, we're going to be coming with him, dressed in our white robes that are representative of the righteous acts of the saints. But he will do the, de the, the defeating of his enemies. They're going to be gathered for war in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Jezreel, what we call the Battle of Armageddon. And he's going to devour them and destroy them all himself and he's going to make his way to Jerusalem there will be some people that survive the ones who are righteous will be allowed to enter into the kingdom the ones who aren't are going to be gathered to be burned many will be judged during the 
tribulation period during that battle and during the things that are happening on the earth. But there's going to be a taking away of those who are unrighteous. You're going to see when we get to Matthew 25, when the, we've always heard about the sheep and the goats, you know, the sheep and the goats. For years, we've had the people try to preach to us that the sheep and the goats was tied to us. But I'm going to show you when we get there that that's all tied to the judgment that's going to happen of the people that survive the tribulation period. When Jesus sets up his kingdom on the earth, that's how he determines who enters into that kingdom. Because Jesus said they're going to, he's going to say, hey, you gave me something to drink. You, gave, you visited me in prison. You fed me when I was, was hungry and I, I clothed me when I was naked. Is that how we get into heaven? By giving someone a glass of water? No. But actually, as I'm going to show you, if we parallel Matthew 25 with Joel, there's going to be a prophecy we didn't read in chapter 3 tonight. We'll get to it later. I'm going to show you that the prophecy in Joel and Matthew 25 overlap. And it shows us that God is going to determine from those who survive of the Gentiles. Because remember, at this point, he's already forgiven the sins of the Jews that have survived. And he's already erased all their sin. And every Jew is going to believe in him at that time that survives. He's going to judge the surviving Gentiles according to how they treated Israel. Matthew 25 in the parable of the sheep and the goats. These brothers of mine, you've done it to the brothers of mine, you did it to least, you've done it to me. It's Israel. I'm going to show you that when we get there. So keep this in mind. There's a judgment coming and the whole world will see it at the same time. Now, let me say this to you before we get to some passages that we're going to close with tonight. I want to encourage you to still be salt and light in the days that we're in. I want to encourage you to be, especially here in America, involved in the process that we've been given to vote. But I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to say. I believe you will be held accountable before God for how you vote. I really believe the Bible teaches that. But don't think for a second that if we get enough Christians to vote, we can change the world or we can change our country. I've heard too many Christians in this time saying, well, if we just get Christians to vote, if we would just vote right, we can we could get righteousness again in America. And I love to hear. Oh, I don't really love it at times, but I hear a lot of people quoting Second Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And that sounds real good. And listen to me. Yes, the Bible does teach that there are times that when we humble ourselves and seek God, he will give mercy for a season. He will give grace. He will bring a revival like we see with Nineveh. But that passage is written to Israel clearly. And on top of that, I could show you, if you want to look at it later on, in Ezekiel chapter 14, God says this throughout the whole chapter, says it more than once. He says, if I've decided that I'm bringing a judgment on a land and on a nation, it doesn't matter if Jonah and Noah and, sorry, Daniel, Noah and Job were in that city, in that land. They'll be spared because of their righteousness, but the judgment's still coming. It doesn't matter how righteous these people were in there. It doesn't matter how much they pray. If I've determined a judgment's coming on a nation, it's coming. Have we not also seen in our study that at this time, every nation on the earth will be fighting against Jesus and fighting against Jerusalem? What does that say about America? We're either no longer here because we've already been judged by God and we're of no consequence. Or if we still exist as a nation, we're one of every other nation on the globe that's against Israel and against Jesus. It doesn't look good for America, folks. I'm sorry. It's just what the scripture says. Now, does that mean we just quit? No. The Bible says that God who's the, is the one who determines who wins the election. 
Very clearly, he does. You better vote appropriately because God's going to hold you accountable for how you vote. And he wants you to vote for righteousness. Yet, at the same time, don't think for a second that we're going to have any control over it. We don't. I had one lady tell me recently at a church, ah, if, if Trump wins, we, that means God's going to give us four more years. And I said, there's no promise of that. There's no promise of that. If Trump wins, that doesn't automatically mean that God's for us as a nation and that we're promised four more years. We all know that God wants to bring a judgment on us. It doesn't matter who's president. And just because the other guy might win doesn't mean that we're going to lose. We're going we're to be. We don't know. So I'm asking you. The Bible says if salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? I'm not telling you to sit back and just say, Lord, get us off this earth. We're still here for a reason. And we're to be salt and we're to be light. When he removes the church, the Holy Spirit will go and his work through the church will be removed from the earth. And then the lament of lawlessness will be revealed and all that. All this stuff we're studying. Now, some of you would say, Jim, wait a minute. All right. If we're not going to be here. Why are we studying Matthew 24? If you're saying this is about not the church. And by the way, if you've ever heard me teach on Revelation, I show you how chapter one is the introduction. Chapters two and three deal with the church age. And then from chapter four on, you really don't see us till you get to chapter 19 again when we come back with Jesus when he comes to set up his kingdom. Because John's told in chapter four, come up here and I'll show you what's going to take place after this. And from that point on, we see the church in heaven and everything John sees down on the earth is happening from a grandstand view. The church is up in heaven during all that stuff during the tribulation period. Well, why are we, why are we to study? Why was Revelation written to the churches if we're not going to be here, Jim? Well, let me say this to you. Let me ask you a question. Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Peter and also in Daniel chapter 12 that the prophets of old searched intently to find out the times and the seasons that the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to and they were told it's not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to happen at a later time. And wasn't Daniel told that in chapter 12? He's told, when's this going to be? How's this going to play out? And he was given the times of the end and he's told not going to happen in your lifetime. You're going to go sleep with your fathers and you'll be brought back to life at the end. Aren't you glad Daniel wrote down what he wrote down, though, even though it wasn't going to happen in his lifetime? Aren't you glad Isaiah wrote what he wrote, even though it didn't happen in his lifetime, as he wrote about Isaiah 53 and the coming Messiah and all these things? We have a responsibility as well as the church to let the world know this judgment is coming. Oh, by the way, Noah preached for 120 years when he built the ark. Now, nobody listened except his family, but he was faithful and they are all held accountable for what they heard and what they saw. Folks, I'm not saying the church should not be involved in the political process. I'm not saying we shouldn't be speaking for truth. Don't go over the edge of thinking, if we are just getting enough people to do this, we can change things. We can turn America around. The Bible says it's going to get worse and worse and worse on the globe until the end. And there is a judgment that is coming to the whole world. And everybody's going to see it at the same time. But. The scriptures teach that Jesus will have come and gathered his church to himself prior to this time period. So this gathering of the elect we see in Matthew 24. Go again to Matthew 24, verse 31. And he sent his angels out with a loud trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. When does that happen according to the prophecy starting in verse 29? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun's going to be finally put to darkness and the moon will not give its light. 
The stars are going to fall from the heaven. Remember we read in the prophecy, the whole earth is actually going to be shaken off its axis. There's going to be an earthquake, the prophecies say, that is so great, every single city on the earth will be flattened. All the mountains will disappear. The islands will go away. And Jerusalem is going to be split into three parts. The northern part's going to go flat. The southern part's going to go flat. And the center part's going to be raised up. And then God's going to set up his kingdom centered in Jerusalem. The whole earth will be totally reworked during that time. There is a massive earthquake coming on the globe. But prior to this time, the church will be removed. This gathering of his elect happens at the end of the tribulation period. And it's not including the church. Let me show you why. Go to Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 13. Now, keep in mind, these were literal seven churches that Jesus was writing to at that time. And he had a message for each one. But at the end of each message for each one, he made a promise that was to all the churches. In Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church in Philadelphia. To the church is. He's made a promise to the church is. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're just going to look at verses 9 and 10. But as, as he's, Paul's writing, he's bragging on this church there in Thessalonica, these people who believed in Jesus, because word is spread. It's obvious what God had done there was of God. And people are talking about what has happened there. And he says in verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, listen, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Again, the church is going to be spared that hour of trial that's coming on the earth. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go over to chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We're going to deal with that next week. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of the light and children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, again, he says, I don't need to write to you about times and seasons because, you know, clearly I've taught you. We won't be here. 
when he's revealed. That's going to happen to them. We're in a different group. He's not destined us for wrath. We're not going to be here. You remember back when Jesus in Matthew 24 was teaching the Jews about the sign of his coming. He's laying it all out. He said there's going to be the Antichrist, the opening of the first seal. Then there's going to be the wars, the opening of the second seal. There's going to be the famines, the opening of the third seal. There's going to be the earthquake, the opening of the sixth seal, and so on. And he says, and then you're going to see the angel preach the gospel to the whole world. And then the end's going to come, and the Antichrist is going to step into the temple. He lays it all out for him. But wait a minute. Didn't in Acts chapter 1 where he had risen from the dead and taught his disciples for 40 days before he ascended to the Father. He taught them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And at the end of that teaching, they asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now to Israel? What was his answer to them? It's not for you guys to know the times or the seasons. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of this Mary, the uttermost parts of the earth. And you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Your responsibility and your time period is different. Because if it wasn't for us to know the times or the seasons that the Father set by his own authority, then why was Jesus teaching Matthew 24 all this stuff to watch for? He wasn't writing it to us. It's not for us to know. We're going to be taken away prior to that. That's why Paul says, let me tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, we're all, but we're all going to be changed in a moment. By the way, when that word mystery all through the scriptures is used, it's to describe something that wasn't revealed earlier. And you know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, Brothers, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose again. We believe that Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. And we who are alive are going to be caught up and go be with the Lord. And we'll go meet him in the air. And we're going to go be with him. We're going to be spared that hour of trial. But we have a responsibility to let people know this is coming. Was Noah and his family spared the judgment that came on the whole world in the flood? Yes, they were. But they still preached it. They still proclaimed it. The people just rejected it. Let people know there is a judgment coming. As we close tonight, we'll pick up next week in Matthew 24, verse 32. We're going to deal with Jesus saying, this generation won't pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. We're going to deal with the question, what generation what is he, was he talking about? So we're going to look at that next week. But as we close, uh, this summer I had the privilege with Becky as we were traveling during our two-month preaching trip around the U.S. and so on. We stopped at the Ark Encounter in, uh, in, in uh, Kentucky. And we walked through it and enjoyed it. And then we came out and actually heard Ken Ham speak, which was amazing. We didn't know he was going to be there. He did a great talk on the fact that there aren't a bunch of races. There's only one race. We all came from Adam, by the way. So even though there's white and black, there's really not white and black. There's all just different shades of brown. There's only one race. It was a great talk. It was a great talk. But after that, we went and got some lunch. And my wife, because we had paid the price where you can get in and go as much as you want, she said, I want to go back through the ark one more time. Well, me and my knee had decided we were done. Because if you've not been to the ark, it's big. Okay? It's life-size. It's actually built to the Bible specifications. It's amazing. So I told my wife, go on back in. Do it at the pace you want. Have fun. And I sat on a bench where I could see the whole ark. I sat on the side just looking at the whole thing and just watching people. And I prayed. And I watched people, most of everybody there were all believers excited to come. But it hit me as I was praying. 
this boat here is proof that you already have judged the whole world. And you said you were going to do it again. We're going to see next week, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Folks, we got to understand, a judgment is coming on the globe. We've read about it a little bit. Doesn't sound like it's going to be a fun time, does it? People need to hear. Don't think you're going to make them believe it. Chances are they won't. But you need to tell them. You need to tell them. A judgment is coming on the earth. And whichever way you vote, whichever side of the aisle you're on, don't think for a second the election is going to stop it. I love you. We'll see you next week.